Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm okay, Dave. How are you? You got the air, air conditioning just fired up down there? I've in- got it blasting in the background. It is hot here today in Atlanta. Um, Marietta, right? Marietta. I call it all Atlanta. I don't really know what things are called here. Do you know that downtown here is supposedly called Midtown? And I didn't realize that until last week. And I've lived here now for three and a half years. What, did someone just randomly say, hey, I'll meet you down at Midtown? And you no, said. No, I, they, they kept talking about Midtown, and I assumed it was like another part of Atlanta. But then somebody clued me in no, no, no. That's just downtown. Like, that's just, you know, the place where the big buildings are? That's called Midtown here. Because Why know, would some they do cities, that? Why some, would they call downtown Midtown? Well, I think it actually is, like, some cities it's uptown. Some cities it's downtown. Some cities it's Midtown. Atlanta, it's Midtown. Uh-huh. So, I know Bucktown. Bucktown. Is it out there? Buckhead. Buck, Buckhead. 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 Yeah, Buckhead. That's where all the snooty rich people live. Well, you know, in in L.A., there, you know, if you go look on Google every once in a while, there's like a new area of L.A. I've never even heard of. What's it called? I, I, there's tons of them all the time. I oh, mean, and you and I, it, you and I know Los Angeles pretty well. Yeah. But have you ever? Okay, I'm gonna wait. I'm going. Here we go. Uh, Carthay Circle. Where's no that? idea? None. No idea. Zero. No idea. Uh, that sounds like a bad Park, planned community. Park Mesa Heights. Nope. No. Nope. Vermont Harbor. Frankly, I don't think these places exist. Are they making up this crap? Just I think so. like out of nowhere, just to screw with. Like, remember, you don't know Orange County, but all of a sudden there was a town, like you'd be watching the news and you'd be looking at the weather and it'd say Lake Forest. And I'd go, okay, I grew up in Orange County. There was never a Lake Forest. No, it's, ever. Like, a, it's like a random name generator. All right, we've got this thing called the forest and this thing called the lake. So let's just stick them together. How about Willowbrook? Ever no. heard of that? Willowbrook? No, no, these things don't exist. You're you're lying to me. You're just reading lies. It's fine. Um, okay. Well, this I could do this all day. I think everyone would be like interested in this. Yeah. Too. I I I'm riveted. I can tell you that much. Um, Mayflower Village. I had to get that last one in. Mayflower Village. We're on you know the wrong that? friggin' coast, people. Mayflower Village. It's where the Mayflower landed in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> right near Monrovia. Bradbury. Completing its cross-country train ride. Yeah, the Mayflower. <laughs> um, well, we do a sports podcast, right? Aye. Yeah. yeah. UCLA. Good. It's the off-season, though, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was able to spend an entire weekend uninterrupted potty training my three-year-old, so there you go. How'd that go? Come out the other end? Oh, I didn't mean it that way. I was trying to say, it did you went, come out the other went, side of the went weekend? splendidly, Tracy. Splendidly. Now, wow. did, did I spend her birthday and my father's day just locked in a, in a house potty training her? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Did I leave the house for two days? No. No, I didn't. But do I have, it, do I have a daughter now who will pee in a toilet and poop in a toilet? Yes, yes, I do. It's a major thing. It kind of changes your life, really. I never I there's a there's a there is a narrow path I can walk now where I never change another diaper. And I could not be more ecstatic about that. Well that's true. This is that's your are, are you are you like getting rid of diapers, going to Costco and never have to buy them again? I think so. I, I and I went whole hog. You know, some people they, they pussyfoot about 
they keep with the diapers at night and all that kind of crap. No, we're not doing any of that. No, there will be no accidents at night. No, no. Maywood. Have you ever heard of Maywood? No, that Maywood. doesn't exist, Tracy. You're lying to me. Valinda, Avocado Heights. Never. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm very proud of. Little. Uh, Little. Abilene. No. Abilene. Damn. God. I'm. Yeah. Abilene. I had that right. Abilene. Yeah, you did. See, Berkeley. You know, I yeah. know Berkeley because I've seen Berkeley. I've never met Abilene, so that's your fault. It's just the most important thing is to always remember they're named after bad cities. If you can keep what would that have been in the, mind, it's easy. What would have been – oh, so the next one would have been uh, – Like a Blythe, say, Blythe or Baker or something? Oh, I thought it would have been like Arcadia or mm, mm. or Willowbrook. I, I came up with some names here for you. Frankly, you Marietta's, Marietta's a little too nice, but it kind of rolls off the tongue too. Avocado Heights. Mm, now we're talking. Avocado Heights Woods. Is Marietta, Marietta, Marietta in, you know, the Los Angeles area has two R's and no, one R and two T's, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Marietta has two R's and two T's? No, one R, two T's. One R. Yeah. Damn. So everything, I just got to always, whenever I'm writing Marietta or Marietta, it's just the two T thing. Yeah, you'll never be able to get it right, actually, if you think about it in terms of rules like that. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No. Okay. Um, well, we again, we do a sports show here, um, here at here, here at the broadcast, um, and we want to talk about sports. Uh, but it's June, all right. This yeah. is the best we can do right now. Um, yeah. We've got a few things to talk about today. Um, you wrote a host of recruiting updates for 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 basketball, and by a host, I mean two, but both substantial. Uh, the last couple of days. We also want to talk about some of the, the football camps that have been going on, as well as some stuff associated with the actual football team. Um, where do you want to begin? Hoops? Yeah, you know, let's do hoops. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it is kind of fun. Kind of fun. It's kind I of mean, fun now that we can, uh, you know, feel like in good faith that we're like uh, able to like follow it and uh, feel good about it. It's nice. Really strange. Really, really. <laughs> it's kind of like a little bit of a time warp. Um, Getting a time machine, just saw it's like, uh, you know, you know, Dave, I mean, I kind of, you know, started doing this back 20 something years ago because I used to write basketball stories for student sports. I mean, on the side when I had another job. And um, so I used to go out to a lot of basketball games, write a lot of basketball evaluations. So that was kind of my core thing. And over the course of doing this job, we kind of created that, you know, that um, uh, scout posse, you could say, of all Southern California crusty old scout guys. And I literally had not been to an event and probably I think I went to one for like 20 minutes last year, but probably in two, three years. And I went out to Pangos and they were all frozen in time. <laughs> <laughs> I love those guys. I love them. I mean, I I'm very comfortable with them. Those are those are my people. But man, just all the same stuff. It was soon as I walk in. Soon as I walk in, first guy I see, number one, and this isn't West Coast, but I'm gonna let you guess. Who do you think I see as soon as I walk in? Uh, first guy looks at me, and it's Frank Burleson. No, no, no. I sat across from Frank and was kind of harassing texting him to try to get him to 
see me. Now, the very first guy I saw was Clark Francis. Wow. The legend. And he just turned to me and goes, Tracy, where you been? Where you been, man? <laughs> I, got his, I got his talk down. Where you been? Where you been? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. It, it, was, it was crazy. Uh, yeah, no, but I think everyone was more taken with that first kind of preamble to that 2020 hoops recruiting update than even the recruits that I named themselves. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's getting inter- back into it. It's, it's an interesting. Yeah. Well, just the whole, the whole way Mick Cronin's, his whole approach to it is very reminiscent of Howland, you know, at the beginning when he took over UCLA, you know, um, he's, he's going for a type. He's going for, you know, a hard nose, guy who plays hard who can play defense athletic um he's going for guys he's got a connection with and he's kind of steering clear of the circuses the circusy with everything that implies guys I, you know i'm not going to get into details of what that means but you all know um those kind of recruitments so it's really it's well, really, well, it's really refreshing is, dave i gotta tell you going to a circus isn't free as we all know Oh, that was good. And prices have gone up. Prices have gone up, and you gotta you gotta buy so much other stuff. You gotta buy the cotton candy, keep the kids happy. You gotta you gotta keep everyone in the family happy while you're you know at the circus. And it's just you know there's a lot of mouths to feed. And you know circuses don't have animals anymore. You know that? That's sad. Is it just like trapeze artists? Yes, it's all like Cirque du Soleil kind of circusy stuff. From what I maybe I'm absolutely wrong. Yeah, but. And and we and with that with that point we completely got off the metaphor. But <laughs> <laughs> unless people are trying to figure that out, we, what metaphor, Tracy? I was I was, just, no, I was just talking about circuses. There are no animals in circuses. What what's he trying to say? Yeah. Well, yeah, there are still plenty of animals in the circuses of college basketball recruiting. Oh yeah. Um, all right. So the recruiting update itself, I mean, I think it's uh, all, yeah, I think a lot of people probably, I mean, frankly, when it was Howland's time, I mean, think about when people first started reading about Kevin Love, right? Like four years before he was even a senior, basically, like as an eighth grader, like, Hey, this kid looks like somebody who might turn into something when he was like a pudgy, whatever, six, six kid. Um, yep. There isn't a consistent level of recruiting that's been going on with a lot of these guys who would otherwise, you know, who maybe wouldn't have looked as much like Alford era prospects. So it's kind of starting fresh with a lot of these guys. They don't necessarily know them. Like the first we kind of heard about Dacian Nix was what, right after Cronin was hired, or more or less, back in the beginning of April, um, that this was somebody that UCLA would even want to pursue. I don't remember him being on the list for Alford. Um, so it's just, it's, you know, it's it's kind of, everything's new with these players, I think. So it is just kind of the approach is fresh. And it's it's really, it's really refreshingly fresh yeah. <laughs> on on what they're prioritizing. I mean, I, I, they're, they've learned the lesson, this new staff, we need kids who can be students. <laughs> like no more, you, we just can't take kids that are just using this as, as like a way station on their way to the NBA. That's, that's just not going to fly anymore. And I think as soon as they got there, they kind of evaluated the whole academic 
situation of the of the foot of the basketball program went oh yeah no th- this can't work so that's going to be there are going to be kids here. I, I, of course, there will be kids at UCLA always, I think, if you're even moderately successful that are going to be coming in that want to spend a short little time in college and, and go pro. Um, but there are going to be more three- and four-year type of guys. And we have always said, that's you and I, that that's what this program should be based on. I mean, of the 13 scholarships, I mean – nine to 10 of them should be three to four year guys with a few like little ringers in there too. Yeah, but the yeah. three to four year guys are the ones that sustain this program and you can win with at UCLA. So uh, everything about the philosophy, I mean, actually I, I try to play devil's advocate and kind of pick apart some things, you know, s- people on the forum were saying, well, there's, there really is an emphasis of guys from the West coast. And I see that too, but that's because there just aren't very many guys in the West Coast. And the guys that are there have uh, are three rings of circuses, most of them. Yeah. Um, you know, people are act- asking about, like, why UCLA won't recruit Joshua Christopher. And that could probably be described as a circus type of recruitment. And I just can't see UCLA even slightly getting involved in that. I mean, Arizona State took his older brother who was like a six foot combo guard. I, who I, I don't think 24 seven even believed he was a D one uh, prospect. So I'm not trying to say that itself is bad or illegal, but if, if that's what people are going to do, you can kind of imagine the level of circusosity. Circosity. Circosity that's out there. And that UCLA is avoiding it, I, I find I find great. It's completely a contrast to the last staff. Remember, they put on that little red jacket and that top hat and had that st- – and, I mean, they were practically the guys running the circus when the previous staff came in. You know, they immediately said, we're recruiting the top ten guys in the country. Yeah. And we all kind of didn't get that, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wrote about so it I like I like where they're going. Um, the combo guards, point guards, and combo guards that they're going after. Dacian Nix, uh, he had a really good um, NBA players camp, top 100 camp. Uh, I had, you know, my feeling from him, my own personal feeling, was that he was going to take a while uh, to really kind of make a decision, even take his trips. Our guy, Josh Gershon, though, dropped a little thing on our forum that he thinks UCLA is doing well with him and is in a good spot for him. So that was great. Uh, I know they like Namari Burnett. I've seen him play. He's he's an impressive kid. I really like his game. And, you know, a combo guard who, you know, wow, strong score and has a great feel for the game, a great uh, – handle a great vision and then i saw rj davis at pangos and i really liked him even though he's kind of a 511 combo guard but i think i think he's going to be a point guard on the next level um because he has point guard skills and an approach it's just when you're an aau ball he can score so much he just says oh screw it i'm going to shoot this right (laughs) Uh, I think from the wing standpoint, I think they're all in on Andre Jackson. They're trying; they'll go. They're going all out to get him, 
And they're hoping he'll make a decision pretty soon, I think. Uh, if not, they'll probably offer a few, a few more wings. I don't think they necessarily have a great chance with any of the other guys on that list. And then I think, like I wrote, Matty Sissoko is is really the guy they want and need. Just only, not only because he kind of epitomizes like the kind of style that McCrona wants to play at UCLA, but also that there are really no bigs that aren't circuses on the West Coast. So I think they're in a good spot right now because they're only looking to take three. And even though maybe someone might leave after next year, um, I think it's still kind of smart to only right now uh, think you're, you're, you're going after three. Yeah, and then aggressively scout locally during the season and see if anybody pops up by, you know, the end of their senior seasons so that you can hit them up for uh, April. Here's one fun, interesting little point in that story that I don't know, everyone might have just skipped right over. You know, the UCLA staff flew out to Charlottesville, Virginia, University of Virginia. Have you ever been there, Dave? No. It is not easy to get to. You, you've got to fly into D.C. And I mean, really, the best way to do it is then to drive. And I think it's like two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So it's like a five-hour, get your rental car, five-hour flight, get your rental car, drive. I mean, it's, it's, it's an endeavor. Um, UCLA staff was just chilling in a private plane, <laughs> um, which saved them an immense amount of time. Compared to, I heard from various recruiting guys that a lot of the coaches were complaining about having to get to Charlottesville, including the staff from across town, that private school, which flew commercial. (laughs) Uh, That's fun. Well, they're tight on cash these days. Across town. (laughs) Because they're saving it up to pay Urban Meyer $9 million a year? Is that uh, saving it up to pay off a bunch of lawsuits, I think, more to the point. But yeah. Do you think that's really going to keep them from paying out $10 million to Urban Meyer? Do you really think that? Um, no. Well, I don't know. It depends on the new leadership, but no, probably not. I mean, there's no... I don't think morally and ethically... Maybe if they don't have the money, that would be the only thing that could keep them. But I, I think... I'm sorry. Maybe I'm cynical. I think Urban Meyer is the next USC coach. No, I agree. We're going off track, but I know we, that's a really, I think we talked about it in the last broadcast too, but it's just too damn interesting. Don't you think? Yeah. No, it's definitely going to happen. Okay. Um, yeah. Agreed. Um, so, all right. So we're thinking right now, if we had to put our, 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 our strong word behind it, we think a class that looks something like Knicks and then Jackson, Jackson being the, the, the like, what, do you, what would you say, 50-50 guy? Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then Sissoko. But Knicks and Sissoko looking pretty good right now. I, I would be, you know, in your first year, your first um, cycle, you, you, I mean, seriously, Mick Cronin doesn't really have that much to sell besides his history of what a good coach he is. But at UCLA, I mean, there's a mystery here of how he's going to do. Um, 
I personally, and how did Howland do in his first year when he was trying to institute, you know, a culture of, of not even just a culture, but just an emphasis of how to play. I mean, that's a tough thing to do. Some of these guys in this program have been, I don't think it, how can you get them to suddenly learn how first to do all the fundamentals mostly right and then play hard all the time? Isn't that hard to try to get someone who's been playing without a lot of focus or intensity to suddenly get them to play hard? I think um, getting them to play with like the discipline that he's going to require is going to be a major work in progress. Getting guys to play hard, I think it, it, a lot's going to depend on who he picks out as his team leadership, right? Um, and if, you're, if he's given the ball to David Singleton and saying, hey, you're my guy, then I would actually feel pretty good about the team generally playing pretty hard. You know, they're going to match whoever is looked to as the leader of the team. What happened with Alford a lot was that they were, you know, it was the Bryce Alford show for a while, um, but it was often guys who were just not necessarily those types of guys, and then the coach himself was not emphasizing it. But if, if Cronin emphasizes it and, you know, the right guys are kind of in charge of team morale, and yeah, I think I think getting them to play hard immediately won't be that big of a difficulty. It's more going to be, are you going to are you going to do the concepts I want? Are you going to know them well enough? Are you going to know them like the back of your hand? And I think that stuff's going to be like his defense is not super simple. Um, it's right. like he he did a lot of matchup zone stuff. It can be prone to a little bit of. I mean, it basically, it looks like man, but it's just got it's got some zone built into it. Um, yeah, I love that kind of defense. Yeah, um, and it's you know he's. That, that it's going to take some time for for guys to learn that perfectly, um, but effort. I, I would expect them to show good effort from from day one and, and throughout the season because they're okay, probably so, going to have Singleton, you know, running the team to an extent, and they'll probably have you know Cronin preaching all them all the time. Guys that age, they can they can change on a dime. I think. Okay, so given that where I was going with this, I think a lot of these recruits will be waiting to see how UCLA looks under Cronin in this upcoming season. So you're saying this 20, these 2020 recruits are going to look at it and go, okay, I, I like this. This is something I want to be a part of. Well, and yeah, and I, I think there's a really good chance that if you remember how in season first season, it wasn't that they just were, not buying into Howland. Like the first 10, 12 games, they looked actually like they kind of were. Um, and then it just kind of felt, it got away from them because the team just wasn't that good. Like they didn't have a whole lot of talent on that team. Um, I mean, you had you had some real marginal players playing key minutes on that team. And it made sense because they fully cratered under Lavin in that last year. Alford didn't really crater from a talent perspective. Like last year's team was still pretty talented. This coming year's team is still, you know, it's not the most talented team we've ever seen at UCLA, but it's certainly not, you know, Lavin's last team, Howland's first team levels of talent. I mean, there's some bodies out there that, yeah, I would expect Cronin to do, you know, I'm not saying he needs to, you know, make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, but have a credible season? Yeah, above 500 for sure, um, even if there are some growing pains. Um, I think they should be like a decent team that's a tough out this year. Um, and yeah, I think that alone would give enough guys saying, okay, great. This looks good. I'm in. Okay. Then if that happens, then 
I think this list that I put up is, I mean, I don't necessarily feel these guys, there's really anyone who's going to commit soon. Maybe Andre Jackson, he's taken four visits, I think. Um, but I, Matty Sizoko, you know, literally two years ago, he, you know, he was in a pretty poor situation living in Mali. And this is, he's got this great personality. He's just taking it all in as he rightly should and deserves to. I don't see him making a decision, and I just don't see uh, Dacian Nix making a decision soon. So I, I, I think if, if they watch this season and they like the style of play, they like what they see, uh, I think you'd have to think someone like Dacian Nix is, well, I'm going to come in. They've got so many parts there, and I can come in and be, you know, the catalyst, I think, I think it'd be a really good recruiting sell. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's going to happen soon. Yeah. And I think a lot of other, a lot of other people will jump on too. I, I think we'll see a lot of new names that go, Oh, okay. So I can UCLA, go to UCLA, get, you know, well coached, good style of play, prepare me for the NBA and, and win too. And say in LA, I mean, because have you seen any of the NBA draft projections, which is the NBA draft this Thursday? Have you looked? Uh, neither guy's projected to be drafted. Not how it, that's, I mean, from a pure talent standpoint. Sorry, none of the should, three. Is, Moses isn't either, right? Right. No, he's not either. Shouldn't at least one of those guys be projected in the first two rounds? I mean, if if uh, if the NBA if an NBA scout is blind from just a pure maybe, talent standpoint, if they're blind, yeah. I mean Moses Brown. I mean, Moses Brown is the one I could see. The other two, no. I mean, I Chris. The thing is, like, if you watch more than a highlight reel of Chris Wilkes or Jalen Hands, I mean, the the major theme you're struck with is general selfishness. Um, and you just in today's modern NBA, where it's like the Warriors ball is becoming something that's so prevalent, where you have to share, you have to share constantly, and you're not passing the ball. I mean, and it's not as if Chris Wilkes is like a Kevin Durant level scorer. It's not like he's raining threes from 35 feet all the time and, and doing it at a high percentage. He hasn't shown the ability to, you know, have any conscience from a shot selection standpoint. He does not pass. Um, so you've got a guy who can, yeah, he can score from all levels at a pretty good rate, not at a dominant college rate, but at a decent college rate. Um, and he's got some decent size, but other than that, like, what are you even getting there? Um, I think they're, I think they're also looking at it that they just watch these guys and say, they're so technically unsound. There are so many things they don't know about basic bat. Remember when, Howland's guys would go to like the NBA, the the camps, and we'd listen on ESPN, and all you hear were the announcers going, "Wow, players out of UCLA are really taught how to play basketball." Yeah, well, none of these guys know how to get in a stance, like none of them. Um, and you know, I I think if I was ranking them as prospects, I'd probably go Wilkes on the bottom for me. Um, I think his approach is just. It, it, you'd have to do so much work on him to get his approach to where you would want it to be. Um, hands, there were flashes, but it seemed like he had it in his head that he needed to prove something, but I think you could work with him and maybe he gets in a, you know, a development situation that works and he turns out to be a player. Cause obviously he's a great athlete. 
Um, and then Brown is the one I'm like, so I, maybe somebody still will take a flyer on him in the second round because there's a lot to work with there from a you know seven foot or athletic. He just again doesn't have much feel, doesn't have a whole great deal of skill, um, and also I mean the approach of all three of those guys is pretty much you know not great. And I think I agree with your order. I think um, Jalen Hands has the talent to be an NBA point guard. Yeah, he just is so just fundamentally raw and far and just lazy. You know, just if you watch a tape of UCLA game, you know, just from the standpoint of there's not a jump stop, there's pat one-handed passes, there's just the 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 assist to turnover ratio. Uh, I mean, just like like sweeping the ball when you when you're like going to take a first step and drive on someone and you're sweeping so many of these guys were like sweeping with the ball at their eye level rather than sweep I mean you should be sweeping at your ankle yeah and there's just so many little things like that and I think that's what's keeping the NBA looking at those guys going wow uh that they're just too raw to even take a chance on right now so I think that's going to be I think that's all going to change. <laughs> it's yeah. going to take a few years. I th- but I just keep going back to Howland's first 5 years. Um and I see so many similarities here that and just like with the 2020 recruiting update that I I wrote I it feels like that. Just what they're prioritizing, the type of kid they're prioritizing, you know, they're not just going after top 10 guys. There are a bunch of, you know, what, five stars in California that if they're listing you or on the West Coast uh, that UCLA, they might be listing UCLA, but I don't think UCLA is really actively recruiting. Yeah. Well, so. I think that makes sense. Um, you know, and early how and fit was super important for just those reasons. So, um Hopefully, the same results come from uh, Cronin's emphasis on fit. Uh, and then, just has to be mentioned that uh, June fifteenth was the first day that uh, coaching staffs could reach out to juniors, um, and we saw like a flurry of activity, which was really, you know, you know, good to see. Just contact with a bunch of two thousand and twenty-one guys, offers extended. So that's all. That was all good to see. Yeah, and they, you know, Jaden Hardy obviously would be a huge get in that class and just, you know, throwing it out there that JT Thor, the Huntington prep kid, um, there's still a possibility he could reclassify and then he's, you know, potential option as that big in 2020. And, I mean, I, I would, I, I, I understand why they might be recruiting as if they only have three, um, but it, I, I don't think it would hurt to just prepare to take four. It's UCLA. Something's going to happen. You know, just just do it. Um, but okay, well, cool. Yeah. So they, uh, they are hitting the ground running and, you know, maybe the results will be a little bit later, but it sounds like the plan and effort are in place to have a good class. Um, we want to talk about football camps a little bit. So UCLA, um, held a bunch of them. Like how many are we talking now? Uh, the first, they had the elite the camp 11th, the 15th and the 17th. Right, so they're just going to do this every couple of days. Is that right? Uh, I think there's. I don't think there's too many left. Um, but you know what? 
they could just crop magically appear on that UCLA site, you know? know. And it, what, isn't there some NCAA rule it has to be up there for like, I don't know, a week or something? So yeah. People, so, so the general public can feel like they had an opportunity to sign up? It has to be, it cannot, it has to be advertised and open to the, to the public. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's one on Wednesday the 19th. <laughs> so there's been the first, the 11th, the elite camp was the first, the 11th, 15th, and 17th, one's tomorrow on the 19th. But we've also, kids have told us, yeah, I'm going to the UCLA camp on the 22nd. So, <laughs> oh, it's super cool how that works. Um, yeah, I whatever rules are meant to be flouted, right? Um, I, I don't. I think it's kind of a you know if they're using it to their advantage, how they're using it, you know, good on them. They they should if they are trying to maybe narrow down that they just don't want it open to anyone and and be able to work one on one with guys they're considering great thing problem is you know when you're going <laughs> OLDL and you've got one offensive lineman and one defensive lineman and they've got well okay let's just say you're going through drills <laughs> those poor offensive linemen and defensive linemen are you know going to fall over because yeah. they're just going to be so exhausted so um yesterday our friend Patrick covered it, and I think he said there was no defensive lineman for the offensive lineman to go up against one on one. Wow! So, well, and like I don't know from a strategic standpoint, I get why you might want to do this if you really, really, really trust your evaluation skills, and I know they do. Um, but how many camps do you remember under Mora where it was like a non? There was like one or two non-invitees, just guys who had signed up, who were like, "Oh, wow." I remember, um, remember that receiver, Eric Brown, um, he came as, I want to say like a sophomore, junior, and he never turned out to be anything in, in college, but he was, he ended up being like a high four-star guy. And the first time I saw him, he was just some random, he was like the third guy on his like group of guys who'd came in and he was just some random receiver that were all like, Oh, Hey, that guy actually looks pretty good. And that would happen. And if you, if you not close it, but make it, you know, a little bit more of a, chancy thing whether just a random person can sign up i mean you might be missing some guys that you don't have tape on that you weren't able to evaluate at some point i don't know just seems you know a little bit of a missed opportunity if you're not you know getting to i mean the elite camp was big wasn't it or relatively were there a lot of people there um uh there weren't a lot there were uh, there was a decent amount there wasn't a lot of overall talent but there was a lot of defensive back talent to watch. Right. Which made it completely worthwhile. But no, I mean, you haven't been to one of these in what, five years? Last one I went to was 2015. So you would come out and, and really just chuckle. <laughs> because remember, but when you were doing it, by the time you stopped it, the talent started to trail off. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we would consider this major trailing off at this point. You would if you saw it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And but I mean, they're doing it their way. You know, this is what this is how Chip is. You know, it. This is. Uh, you know, they're just gonna. He wants to get just a few guys. You know, he's very selective. We know that he's going to think. I just want to get a few guys that I'm interested in and, and watch those guys. He was out. He was out yesterday 
personally hand timing the 40s and the shuttles. So he's hands on there, Dave. That's great. That's great. Good use of time. Um, <laughs> all right. So anybody, anybody who stand out to you? You went to the the camp on the fifteenth, right? Uh, yeah, Patrick I went, did. Yeah, I went to first and eleventh. Patrick went fifteenth in yesterday. Uh, yesterday was a kid that they offered Bennett Pitcher. He's that twenty twenty one tight end. You like that? Pretty big for Bennett a pitcher. Pitcher. Yeah. Who's just on his way to being an NFL offense? If you weigh, if you're six nine, you weigh two hundred seventy pounds. When you're a sophomore in high school, you're going to have to give up that tight end. <laughs> why is he? Why well, isn't he playing power forward? What's his deal? Yeah, I mean, you could make a lot of you could make a lot of cases on what he should be doing, but he he is he is going to be an offensive tackle. Uh, there was a quarterback, Ty Thompson, who's from Gilbert, Arizona. Uh, that we saw early on in a seven on seven early in spring. And we were really impressed. He's had a couple of unofficial visits, maybe not a couple, maybe one to UCLA looks like a true UCLA type of kid. You know, a kid, you know, has impressed the staff when they keep him afterward and he gets on, he gets that little tour, like with Jerry Neuheisel on one of those carts. Yeah. When you see him scooting around on a cart. Um, so, yeah, those are the two probably the main guys. There's some other interesting guys too, though. There was there's a kid. You know, I, I think what I like about their evaluations, I like finding six six two hundred and fifty pound athletic tight ends who have good frames that could end up three hundred pounds by the time they're a redshirt sophomore but still have those feet and their offensive tackles. I, I like that philosophy. I think it didn't our boy, Greg Biggins once say that he looked at all the, he looked at a bunch of the NFL, the offensive tackles in the NFL. And at one point or not at one point in all of their life as a prospect, when they were in high school, they, they were like six, six and 225 pounds. Yeah. Um, you know, Connor McDermott types. When we first saw Connor McDermott, he was six, eight, and what, 230 pounds, I think, when he walked on campus at UCLA. Yeah, that year he gray shirted, I think it was. He was, he was super skinny. Yeah. So um, I, that's what I like. I, I think that's a good way to do it. Um, yeah, and it makes, I mean, if we've seen historically, it works a lot better than the reverse. Um, trying to get guys to cut weight, especially at that, on the offensive line, it seems like it works a little bit better defensive line-wise, but getting guys to cut weight on the offensive line just never seems to work right. Um, you, you know, there's the, you know, not to name names, but like Brandon Bennett and, and Sonny Tavaga are two notable ones that never were able to shed the weight necessary to become players. Um, and, you know, that's it's it's tougher to work that. And it seems like a lot of schools are getting away from that. Like, they don't go for the pure mass anymore. They usually try to build through it or, you know. But if you're taking a guy who's like 330-plus, there's got to be something exceptional about him for you to take him. Because yeah. I think it just you're, – you're, cha- you're changing, like, real serious dietary habits there. You've got to do, like, major lifestyle changes to get, um, you know, those guys to where you want them to be. And it might not even, it just might be, you know, you're fighting genetics. Uh, you know, you just can't hold back 
some of these kids are just going to be big human beings. Yeah. <laughs> and you just can't stop it, you know, and trying to, you know, maybe they're 275 as a junior and they want to be a tight end and you can keep them at probably about some of them you can keep at 275 but most of those guys that their bodies are just straight headed towards 300 pounds yeah absolutely um then earlier in the week there was the jay brunel the kid from uh massachusetts there was that experience uh the wide receiver came out we thought he wasn't going to – he told us he wasn't working out and he was going to – UCLA coaches were going to see him at San Diego State, but he worked out on Saturday. Uh, looked looked good, big, strong, fast, so they offered him. Uh, our friend uh, Brian Doan – remember Brian Doan? I remember Brian Doan. Uh, is supposed to be calling Jay Brunel since he's in his recruiting region. So all of you should – Put Brian won't know I said this because he's not listening to this podcast, but I want you all to go to the forum and say, hey, Brian, why haven't you talked to Jay Brunel yet? He's already he unofficially visited UCLA. Why are you so slow? Yeah, frankly, add him on Twitter about it. <laughs> Just add him anywhere. Yeah. Um, they offered Josh Simmons, a two, 2021 offensive lineman from San Diego. Uh, and I told you they offered pitcher so this is interesting they have completely departed and veered away <laughs> in the last five days when it comes to eight clap eighth huh weird it's almost like what do, it was you a... think about, what do you think about that day because i know you were always a big fan and advocate of that well i i maintain that it was just dumb um and at, 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 i don't think it's over by the way i uh, sure it is because they're not doing it anymore so whatever, um, but yeah, okay, fine. If it's still a thing, um, I think it was uh, uh, misguided, relatively harmless, um, in in fact. But I, I don't, I don't, I still don't see any upside from it. Um, I think it's just a little goofy thing they tried to do, and it seems like they're going away from it. And I think that's great. Yeah, when Patrick was interviewing, uh, I think he was interviewing Josh Simmons, the offensive lineman, and he said. Did they offer you? He said, yeah. He goes, oh, okay. I mean, does this have to be off the record? Did you? Did they tell you to hold off until 8 clap 8? He looked, I, Patrick said he looked at me like I had, he had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's just, whatever. It was, it was always a goofy idea that they would actually wait to offer until that day. It's a goofy idea that it would, like, create any kind of buzz. I, 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 I don't get it. I don't get it. It's fine. Um, it's trying to create exclusivity and, and all that kind of stuff around the offer, and I get that. It's just the way you do that is by um, running a good program that wins football games. Yeah. You don't do it with marketing poise. Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of funny that, that you would think it's kind of not really in line with Chip's personality, or don't you think kind of not him to do something like that? Um, to try something relatively non-commitment that might might possibly in like a w- weird little world benefit you in recruiting, like that you basically don't have to put in any real effort to do. Oh. I don't know. Okay, there. Okay, I don't know. Okay. I, no, I'm just I'm just throwing oh. I'm just throwing words out there. You know? Yeah. Because it is. <laughs> when you, it's a and no when you put those words together, sometimes you know they say they mean things. 
Sometimes, sometimes they yeah. don't. Sometimes they're just words. But no, I mean, if, if it's a no commitment <laughs> yeah, thing that, that you can do, that um, the upside is maybe it has some small benefit for recruiting. I mean, I, I get why you would do it, I, I, but I also think there's you know there's potentially a negative side to all that stuff. Like if guys don't get offers on that eight clap eighth, like it doesn't get announced and they've been recruited to that point and they're like, oh, that sucks. Like there's a negative feeling associated with it too. If you're just offering guys as you offer them and you tell everyone. Hey, there's a process, and we got to work through the whole process that takes all this time. We got to do all this stuff, and you just offer them as you finish that process. That feels more intellectually honest, right? Um, sure. Than telling a guy, "Oh yeah, we do that process," and "Oh yeah, we can offer this batch on the eighth, but you're no, not yet," and then not yet the next month, and then not. It's eh, just whatever. Anyway. anyway, I got you. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I thought it was always. I, I remember. I think when they came out with that. I'm calling it a gimmick. Um, we asked Chip about it in the scrum after a practice, and he said, "You know." And I think it was, I think it was Tookney who asked him. He said, "So, I mean, what what is this? What's the purpose? Is it pur- purpose of this?" And he said, "Just to try to, you know, generate a little interest." And he, she said, "Oh, okay." He said, "It made you ask me a question about it, didn't it?" <laughs> that was so dumb. That was so dumb. <laughs> He says a lot of like kind of, I don't know, just kind of dopey things in those prospects. Well, it just I he's I think he's just uncomfortable in that in that kind of environment. Yeah, but if you're so, if you're uncomfortable, then then be boring. Um, but he's uncomfortable and and he's just kind of a jerk. And it's just yeah. Damn. Okay, just attribute all these comments to Dave and not to me. Well, no, he is. I mean, and that, I mean, <laughs> if he's not trying to be, well, Chip, you're being kind of a jerk in those pressers. Um, and it's just like. Look, I mean, everyone's got to do their job, whatever. And part of his job is, like, doing those. So just, uh, you know, do it. And don't, like, turn it into some, like, roasting thing for the reporters who are asking you questions. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Um, All right, so finally we want to talk a little bit about the team this year and what we think um, the – Maybe the biggest question marks are on each side of the ball from a position group standpoint. Um, uh-huh. So okay. I will begin on offense. Wow, okay. I haven't even thought about this. Okay. I'm Damn. thinking about it right now, and maybe this is something that I will change immediately afterwards. Who knows? Um, I'll say my biggest question mark on the offensive side of the football is quarterback. Um, okay. I think um, – you know, we saw some good things from Dorian Thompson Robinson last year, especially midseason. Um, the Washington and Cal games in particular, I thought he was – honestly, I think you could make an argument those were the two best games played by a UCLA quarterback last season. Now, Wilton Spate was more consistent over the course of the season, especially towards the back half of the year. Um, but I don't think he reached quite the highs that Thompson Robinson reached. Um, Washington especially, but Cal, I mean, he had a really efficient game. Um, and I think if if that quarterback shows up game one, um, then I think UCLA is in pretty good po- position to have good quarterback play this year. Um, but it, it was a two-game sample. Um, before that, he wasn't so good. After that, he wasn't so good. Um, obviously, he got hurt after that, so it's, you know, grain of salt. But um, at best, we can say he had two really good games, um, and the rest were uh, so-so too awful. Um, if he's as good as he looked in the midseason, great. But I think it's a big question mark what range you're getting with him this year. Is it going to be a narrow range of pretty good? Or is it going to be, again, as with the first year, a wide range of 
awful to, wow, this is really good. Um, and I think that's going to tell the tale of the season in a lot of ways. So that's, that's my big pick on the offensive side. Uh, see, so you'd think I'd have to go. I mean, the obvious counter to go here is to say the offensive line. And I want to, and I'm just going to talk this out with you and think this out with you. Um, Okay, here's our evidence. Last year, the offensive line, we went into the season thinking that was probably the biggest question mark on offense, right? Um, And they didn't, they were not disappointing. In fact, they over, as soon as Bostagaloa got in that lineup, they started playing well. And I can't attribute it all to him, but you could see some of the things they were doing with the offensive line in terms of coaching and scheme and were, were really some nice, great things. And it really kicked in in the second half of the season. Uh, so everyone's naturally saying, well, look how good offensive line coach Justin Fry did with that offensive line. We're just going to naturally assume that that's going to happen again. And, I want. I think people are kind of saying that just to make themselves feel, not to panic, but, and there are four recruiting, uh, four returning starters, um, which is a good thing. But uh, you also had some veterans who were at key positions, and like when I said when Boss Tagaloa started playing, when he came in the lineup, everything kind of clicked. Uh, but you had Andre James, who was had started at left tackle, and you and here's the key: you was there an injury on the offensive line last year? I don't think there was. Justin so, Murphy, Justin Murphy, but he wasn't even projected. Did he? He started he the start? year, and he then started, Jake Burton took over, and then Murphy never really made it back. I think into the starting lineup. Yeah. So while the obvious thing is to go counter to what you said and say an offensive line, I, I just have to do it. Not just because I'm going counter, but from one main reason, and that's depth of the offense. There's, there's really two things. Number one is depth. Number two is really offensive tackle. Um, I just am really skeptical that Sean Ryan, no, no matter how good he is, as a prospect coming in without having been in spring is going to be able to immediately come in and be good enough to start at left tackle. I, I it's, it's different playing. It's coming in and playing in the interior, but playing left tackle, you're going up against a lot of defenses, best pass rushers. I, 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 that's just, that's really, really, really tough. And I think Alec Anderson I'm, I'm going to give up something that I was saving, but I think Alec Anderson is going to win the spot um, because of what I saw from him in spring and that he's got a year under his belt in the program. Um, but a redshirt freshman at left tackle with, if he gets hurt, Sean Ryan, a true freshman. And I, I don't know where else you go if anyone else gets hurt. And I'm worried about Mike Alves and his back because that tended to linger through spring. So I would, I feel more confident 
about Dorian Thompson Robinson at quarterback from the flashes I saw of him uh, because I think there's going to be a big jump from being in the program over – remember, he wasn't in spring. Being in the program in the offseason, having a year under his belt, I think he won't – I think he's less to worry about than that offensive line. Too many vulnerabilities. And mostly to me, it's it's depth. I It's so hard to think that you go through a season without any real injury to your offensive line. Yeah. I mean, this I, is kind of a downer subject matter. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that it's I mean yeah, and I think that's right. Um I think there is I don't know how much I buy chips like injury prevention stuff with Wintridge, but I think maybe there's a little bit to it on the wear and tear injuries that happen to offensive linemen. Um and I, but yeah, you're going to have a couple of injuries no matter what. I mean, last year was probably a rarity in the in the relatively healthy regard. Um, I just, even at the beginning of the year, I wasn't looking at it and saying the offensive line, I mean, it didn't look like the offensive line was the huge issue. Um, you know, I think some people, it seemed like the offense itself was just very, very vanilla. Um, and maybe that was by design because they didn't trust their offensive line. I don't know. Um, but I think the best thing that could happen seriously to the UCLA football program is that this offensive line plugs in and is really effective, even like with an injury or two. And you've got to play Baraka Beckett or you've got to play John Gaines. And everyone plugs in. And it's just literally a matter of just plugging in the next guy. But they seem to be so well coached and they're, it's such a great scheme that they're still very effective. Yeah. If that, that could be the biggest and best takeaway. I think I read in your Utah preview – I read it, Dave. Aren't you impressed? Hey! Um, I think you said that uh, returning quarterback, returning running back, I think they're replacing three or four guys on their offensive three, line. Three, yeah. Three. But they've never had – there's never been a letdown. They seem to be able to plug in no-name guys and be fine. Yeah. If UCLA could get to that point that you can plug in guys who we think are question marks, like John Gaines, Barack Beckett, and and the offensive line just keeps going right along without a you know without a blip. That's like that's the number one best takeaway I could get from this season. Absolutely, yeah. So that's spinning it into a positive. That's great. I tried. I tried so hard. Thank you. I'm glad you appreciated that. Um, defensively, uh, my biggest question mark is, uh, man, I've got a few. Um, I'll go pass rush. Just generally speaking. I knew you were going to do that. Okay. Um, because, I, well, I mean, the, <laughs> the biggest weakness might be just, like, generally the philosophy. Um, but I'll go pass rush because it seems like their philosophy is dependent on getting a base pass rush. Um, and I just don't know where it's going to come from. Uh, Keyshawn Lucier South was out in the back half of spring. Still no word yet, right, on whether he's going to be back for fall camp. You know, um, I called all of his professors, yeah. and I've asked if they could call me as soon as and no his, calls? they post his grades. So they they talked to me first. Okay. You know, because everyone said quarters over. Sure, sure, sure. You know, we need to know. So just waiting on the call from. Got his it. Got professors. it. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. So you're yeah. hanging on the phone. I get it. 
Um, yeah. But, I mean, even if he comes back, it's not like Keyshawn Lucer South has ever been like a 10-plus sack guy. That's not that's not who he is. Um, and, you know, it's maybe who he thought he was going to be maybe more or less out of high school, but it's not who he's turned out to be as a player, and he's still a good player, um, but he's not, you know, he's not that level of pass rusher. Um, and then who else? Um, yeah, who else is the real question there? Odua Izibor looked a little bit better, a little bit more athletic, a little bit skinnier, just a little bit more like he might be able to provide some rush on the other edge, but he's he's a much worse pass rusher than KLS. Um, and then you've got a variety of guys, Elijah Wade, who, I mean, big and strong, I don't know if he's getting into the backfield a ton. Um, you've got a couple of guys that can blitz. Well, really one that we've seen do it, Lokeni Toa who is probably going to be good for a few sacks and a little bit of pressure, but there's really not a whole lot there to generate pressure. And then you look at the defensive line and there aren't, you know, there's, there's the big violent types, you know, like a Martin Andrus or, um, you know, uh, Oso Digizua who, who can get into the backfield on occasion, but they're not making a habit of that. They're not getting in there and disrupting play after play after play. So I don't know where you're going to get your disruptive backfield plays from. And given the way that they have, given the way that they called blitzes at really inopportune moments last year, uh, just to get that rush, I don't think they're prepared to play pure bend but don't break. Um, I think they're going to try to do something like like an amalgam of of aggression and and a little bit of coverage, and I just, I, I, I don't see where the base pass rush is going to come from. I think they're going to be forced to blitz if they're going to try to be aggressive and generate sacks again, and if they're forced to blitz, I think it's going to be put too much pressure on the defensive backs, and you're going to end up with a defense that looks just like last year, which was bad. Wow. Okay. Um, well, let me, let me talk a little bit about what you just said. Uh, so when I was out at the camp on Saturday, uh, Josh Woods was working out right in front of us on a very hot day on lot eight, leaning up against a hot wall. Uh, yeah, kind of a miserable experience. And while you have nothing to watch, you know, I'm literally watching Josh Woods hopping on one foot. Um, (laughs) but man, that dude, he is physically, that is like the perfect linebacker body. He, he doesn't look hindered at all from the ACL. He has no, he was wearing nothing on his knee, no brace, anything. Um, and he worked at outside linebacker or he, like we had predicted, if you remember that we thought he'd be moved to outside linebacker and he did, that's where he worked during spring, but he never got into, I don't think he really got into any team. He might have, he might have had like a few reps in team. But I think he's – If you remember when he actually did play because he's been hurt so much. It's, it's hard to remember. He, he wasn't a great inside linebacker. Um, but when he did, I thought when he had to uh, blitz or rush the quarterback was what he might have done pretty well. Now, of course, it would be a big stretch to say Josh Woods – Josh Woods is a savior for UCLA's pass rush. But I think we've got to keep him in mind. Um, and I, I'm telling you, I, I think Jay Smalley, 
is going to be a guy. I, I think he's going to get, I will say he gets, you know, not double digit sacks, but I bet he gets five, six sacks this year. I'm going to say that. Um, I thought he was effective last year. But overall, I agree with you. There isn't any guy there. Um, and that's that's really, really, really worrisome. Uh, I, I'm not too worried about really any other aspect of the defense. I think the defensive, you know, they went for a youth movement last year on the defensive line. And we're going to see, I think, a major jump in their performance. All of these guys are bigger and stronger and uh, more trimmed up like Antonio Maffi. Mm-hmm. I think the linebackers overall will be good. I think Chris Barnes is going to have a solid senior year. I think Tyree Thompson was coming on toward the end of the year. Uh, I, I always liked Javari Anderson, who didn't play last year. Um, look, Kenny Taylor Loyal will play a good role. Uh, I, so inside, I, I think they're all going to be solid. I like the secondary quite a bit. I don't see any holes there either. And I think they'll even be better. Even without Pickett, I think we're going to see like Quentin Lake really step up and become, you know, bordering on a star. But I got to agree with you, Dave. I, I mean, I don't think I remember seeing a team that had just no one who could rush the passer. Yeah. And if they and like you said, we've placed we're starting to think Keyshawn Lucy or South is wow, what's going to happen without him? But I mean, he's no, you know, nothing against him personally at all. But while he might be UCLA's best pass rusher, he's not a great pass rusher. He hasn't shown it. Yeah. So I don't really, and I don't know what that defense is going to do about pass rushing. I know you think they're going to play more bend and not break. I think they have to, have to. I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, that's easily. What's there the strength are no of, what's real the strength other of the question team? marks what's, what's on the, the strength, defense. But the strength of the defense is that secondary. Like even with the yeah. Darius Pickett gone, that secondary is the strength. So I, I mean, I don't know. They're, they've got some. They've got some questions to answer. Um, How great would it be if Jason Harris, the grad transfer? Can comes in and can get ten sacks. Well, I mean, considering he had one last year, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, no, I, I think we 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 when we were all watching the first few games of last year, a, a narrative formed in our brains that the offense was trash. Like, oh my god, this is awful um, because it was like the offense was really bad in the first three games. Um, the offense was the best unit on the team by far last year. By the end of the year, they were 50th in S&P Plus. The defense, 97th. It was a horrendous defense last year. It has a lot of work to do to just get to merely bad. Um, and I think we're all, we lose sight of that a little bit. But there are like yeah, major Yeah, no, that's issues. a really good point. There, there are good major point. issues on the defensive side of the ball. And I think a lot of it is scheme-related. Um, and that's for somebody much smarter than me to, to really diagram and break down. But, um, they've got some real things that they need to figure out there. Um, they return a bunch of starters. I mean, it's, you could make an argument. They're returning every starter, but Pickett. Um, now other guys started some games, but 
pretty much. Um, the guys who started the bulk of the games are all back, except for Pickett. So that returning experience in the scheme, maybe it pays dividends, but um, they're starting from very bad. The offense, the offense has room to grow into a top 25 unit, really. It does, because by the end of last year, they were probably playing like a top 30-ish unit, um, and that, that's not a huge jump from 50th to 25th. I mean, it happens. Um, but going from 97th to top half, I mean, that's, that's going to take some work. Um, defensively. So I'm when you're when I'm weighing my concerns for this season, yeah, we just broke it down by units on each side of the ball. I am much, 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 much more concerned about the defense, even talking about the 10 returning starters and, you know, the linebackers being healthier and everything, because I don't think it was just linebackers lack of health that was making that defense bad last year. I think it was linebackers' lack of talent and lack of experience. I didn't have – okay, you and I break down these games. We watch them a number of times. Maybe it's because expectations have just been so <laughs> ground, you know, just beaten into the ground that, I mean, when we watched UCLA's defense over the last few years, you'd just say, what is this scheme doing? What are they doing? Yeah. I, I mean – I. Last year, I didn't. I said, "No, nah, I get what they're doing. It's just that guy can't make a play, or that guy can't make a play, or they're into walk-ons." I mean, I saw what they were doing, um, and and saw how they even try to compensate it for lack of personnel. Um, I thought it was a matter of talent and experience last year on defense. Um, I don't think the talent has been greatly upgraded, but the experience has, I think the defensive line has, has a good amount of talent. It was just young. So I think, I think they're, I actually think the defense is going to be better. Um, Oh, it can't be much worse. So yeah, but it can't be worse, but I, I think it's going to be a good defense, but because I don't think there's really a problem with the scheme, but the problem will be the scheme is kind of contingent on, generating some kind of pressure on the right it's contingent on players they don't have right exactly yeah well i'd say is that a good scheme then no i think they're gonna have to adapt but i thought they were pretty nimble in adapting last year and i remember your reviews where you said wow it looks like defensive coordinator jerry azanero is realizing he can't do this so he did this and played a he played some bend and not break right yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, but still, uh, and this is where I think it also bleeds into play calling. There was this, I don't think you can get like emotional and frustrated as a play caller. And it seemed like there were notes of frustration in the play calling, like calling just these somewhat emotional blitzes um, at really inopportune moments. Like really like you're, you're watching the flow of the game and you're like, oh my God, no, not right there. Um, and see, I my, didn't my feel, thing. I felt that every year for as long as I can rem- remember. And last year, maybe I was just trying to find positive. I didn't feel it that much. Mm. I went, mm, I kept saying, okay, I get that there. You no, know, it didn't I, I actually didn't understand a single blitz last year, but yeah. Um, well, maybe you're not understanding it just because they were blitzing with guys who literally can't blitz. Well, again, is it a good decision if you're doing it with guys that can't do it? I was okay. So let's do that. At the beginning, they tried, it didn't work. So he adapted a little, every other defense that we ever would have known would have kept doing it throughout the entire season. 
Yeah. Right? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. One other asterisk. I think the other thing on offense, go-to receiver just needs to be found. That's key for uh, a quarterback like, you know, Thompson Robinson, who is trying to get his footing, trying to establish himself, just to have that guy you know is going to get open and you're going to be able to find him. You know, whether that's Theo Howard or Devin Asiasi or someone else, that's key too. I mean, I would really say, even despite the offensive line and DTR's worries, if Caleb Wilson had come back this season, I would uh, that that might have been the real convincing factor for me that this would be a really good offense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, but again, I mean, look, on the surface, this this should not be a bad football team this year. Um, if you look at just returning starters, um, you return a starter at quarterback, and I think that's fair to say, started half the game. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you return a starter at running back, and maybe the second best running back in the Pac-12 after Eno Benjamin, I'd probably say. I'd um, say too. I think he's getting short shrift, but yeah, keep going. Yep. Uh, yeah, you have to replace your tight end. Every other meaningful receiver returns. Um, Theo Howard and Demetric Felton were the two, number two and number three guys last year, and then Kelly took the, the fourth most catches, but then Michael Ziki also back. So top four production, and basically everyone else in that receiver depth chart besides Christian Pabico. Um, and then return everyone on the offensive line besides Andre James. So they're returning, what is that, nine starters on offense, and 10 starters on defense. That's that's the kind of year that you build toward. Um, there is a scenario where UCLA is really good this year. Like, it can happen, but they're starting from such a low point. Um, and it's just the, 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 the sheer numbers of it don't quite make sense when you think about it. Like, are they really going to go from 3-9 and nine to, like, 9-3? and three? Or 3-9 and nine to 10-2? and two? Um I have a hard time seeing that. Are they really going to go from the 97th best defense to like 30th? Hard time seeing it. But yeah. there's, there is a lot of returning production on this team. Like There is a lot of returning experience, and if it all gels together, there's room for this team to be really good. Um, but there's just such a wide variance with this team coming up that I just I have a hard time even thinking about it. I've got them at 75 yeah. right now. Because I think they're going to be better than what the stats show from last year, um, and what projections would have them. But you could you could convince me, like if you came back from the future and you said, "Hey, UCLA went four and eight this year," I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, I could see that happening." Or UCLA went ten and two. Oh, okay, like I wouldn't be super shocked by either one. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, in my experience in doing this job. Um the predominant thing in college football that really established, you know, how good you're going to be that season was maturity of your roster and the experience of your roster. That, that is right along there with talent. And uh, I mean, I think among the PAC 12, I think UCLA has the most returning starters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, and then there is the coaching factor. Now you just talked about defense, but you know, I, I we're we're unaccustomed a bit at UCLA to 
to say that coaching will have uh, in football to have them overachieve. And so what do you, you really quickly tell me what you, Chip Kelly's staff, do we, from what you saw last season, will this staff have them playing better than what you think they, because I, I thought historically UCLA football is always underachieved given the yeah. talent. I have next to, I, I, I mean, I, I mentioned it because I had to, the quarterback concerns, but I don't really have concerns offensively um, from a coaching okay. standpoint. I think, um, I think Justin Fry's really, really, really good, and I think that goes a long way for the offense as a whole. And I think Chip Kelly truly is, I mean, and especially a running game mastermind. Um, I, I think he, he knows how to carve out a run game. Um, and no matter what tools you give him, he's going to be churning out a 200-yard rusher by the end of a season. Like, you give him me and you, and we'll be running for 200 yards. Um, now you went a little far. Oh, maybe okay. a little bit far. Um, gotcha. But, but y- y- you know what I'm saying. Like, I think he, I, I think that that combo, just those two, like, you know, I, I think other position coaches, I, I'm sure they do a fine job, but it's less, less impactful. Um, but I think if you've got a good offensive line coach, and I think they do, and you've got, I think, an offensive genius, I, I would still say that about Chip Kelly, um, I have no concerns offensively. Now, the defensive staff, I, I, I don't know what to make of any of them. Um, I don't know. I, I think Rhodes is pretty good. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm completely on the fence about Azanaro. Um, Pelham didn't have a great rep at Oregon. Um, and, uh, Ogobase, I, I just don't know yet. You know, we haven't, I think that's all really fair. We haven't seen enough. Let, so, let me ask you what you think the scheme though. Did, were you, let's put it this way, were you less frustrated with the scheme given the experience and the talent last year than you had been with the scheme? I, I guess Tom Bradley just took us so well, low that... Yeah, Bradley was really bad, but like I, I, I hate to judge these things relative to horrible coaches. Um, it's, yeah, everything was better than the last couple of years of Mora, um, but is that really the standard to judge things on? Um, right. Was it better than Spanos? No, hell no. Was it better than, Christ, when was the last good one besides that? Dwayne Walker? No, definitely not. Um, But yeah, better than Tom Bradley, but I mean, some eight-year-old calling plays on Madden better than Tom Bradley. (laughs) Um, But I mean, you just can't judge it on that standard. No, I'm not saying Azanaro is horrible. I mean, he's a a cut above Tom Bradley, Um, but... I want to see what they do. And yes, um, big asterisk because of the linebacker injuries, you know, not a ton of healthy bodies there, had to play some guys that they probably didn't want to play. I get it. Totally, totally fair. Um, But my jury's out on that one. Like, I want to see what they look like now with healthy linebackers. Are they going to make a huge leap? Um, If they do, then I'll take back everything. If they they end up top 30, then yeah, I was wrong for like the millionth time. That's fine. But um, wasn't impressed wasn't impressed with really a whole lot that they tried. Um, I think okay. you, you could have gone, I don't know. And some of it, looking back on it, they were really sacrificing the year in some ways, um, playing young guys who weren't, weren't as good at that moment over more experienced guys who were probably a little bit better strictly to get those guys experience. I think that's obvious now what they were doing. Um, and, you know, uh, putting other guys on the bench who probably could have outplayed those guys. I think if you were trying to have the best team you could have last year, I think they would have put other personnel in there. Um, you know, 
Chigozi and Naruka would have played more, I think, if they were trying to, you know, put their best foot forward last year and not build through the future. Um, right. But, yeah, whatever. Okay. I think that all makes a lot of sense. I think we captured it. You know, we thought, first, we didn't think we were going to have that much to talk about off season. Now it's an hour and, then and 16 we said, minutes in. Yeah, let's just make this, let's, let's just make this a short one. And we went for, yeah, a long one. So that's good. You guys, you should appreciate our effort here. I'm exhausted. Me too. Are you done? You got anything else? I'm done. I'm so done. I'm done. So done. We're all so done. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Very positive broadcast, right? Wouldn't you say so? No. Very positive. I think About I think it was key when I turned it around there. Yeah, it was important. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, uh, Bruin Report Online. And we will talk to you again next time. See y'all.